I, uh, right before Mass, I was given an announcement, and I'm going to forget it. So I'm going to tell you now, okay, uh, instead of at the end of Mass. On Wednesday, we won't be having any confessions. We usually have them, I think, five to six. Uh, but if you can refrain from sinning until Thursday, uh, that would be great. So Wednesday, there won't be any of our usual confession times. There, it's done. Um, what were we talking about? Okay, transfiguration. Our catechism tells us that there's a bunch of reasons why we have the transfiguration. And it's really interesting. If you look at the four Gospels, there's really not a ton of stories that all four of them tell. Right? Each was the way of the other. And to some extent, there was this sense of, well, he already told you this. Uh, but when it comes to the transfiguration, that's in all four Gospels. That all four Gospel writers, led by the Holy Spirit, felt this was so important. And our catechism tells us there's a few reasons for that. Uh, and we're going to walk through 52 of them. I wouldn't do that to you. Uh, no, we're going to look at a couple of them. First, uh, the catechism says, and I really like this, Jesus had to steal the hearts of the disciples for what they were about to see. Namely, that this person they had been living with, who they called the anointed one, who they suspected might have even been somehow connected to God, was about to be tortured to death, abandoned, betrayed. And how do you take that information with what you know about God? Again, you and I are used to this, but this is insane. Power itself let us kill him. And for some, uh, in a way, the Lord needed to kind of prepare the disciples. You're going to see awful things. But I'm going to prepare you by letting you see the end. Uh, my mom was a ridiculously disciplined woman. But one thing she would do, and I, I'm, I think this is a mortal sin, uh, she would read the last chapter of a book. Uh, if it was a suspenseful book, she'd go to the end first. And I'm like, Mom, you should not go to communion. Uh, this is 2,000 years of church teaching, right? Uh, but in a sense, that's what Jesus did. He quick showed them the last page before they got to the horror. Yeah. But the one we're going to focus on today is that the disciples saw something that God sees all the time. They saw the truth of the person. You have to remember, in our art, we always very helpfully draw a halo around Jesus, yeah? He always looks much cleaner than he would have actually looked. And he tends to look like the nationality of whoever painted it. But Jesus looked like them. He smelled like them. He shared an accent with them. It would be hard to imagine the shock of seeing a guy who just looks like everybody else all of a sudden so pure and shining and bright. They were seeing Jesus as God sees Jesus. They were seeing Jesus as God sees you. It's a remarkable thing to think about. When I was a kid, whenever anyone did the God sees everything you do, I wanted a go fetal. Yeah? 
I did not want anyone, I didn't want me to see what I was doing, you know? I'm a sinful guy. But if we believe that when we hear that, God sees everything we do, that God sees a list of our offenses, we've really missed the core of things. When God looks at you, he sees your soul, and it's beautiful. It's stunning. It's like this. And we need to remember that, because that might help us remember our dignity a little better. C.S. Lewis wrote, if we ever were given a glimpse of ourselves the way God sees us, we might accidentally worship ourselves. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your list of accomplishments or failures. He sees himself. He sees the beauty of you. For a moment, the disciples got to see Jesus like God sees you powerful thing. But what we want to do is take the next step and receive a really big challenge. A challenge that in this culture is anathema, but we're going to go there. Namely, that our bodies are sacred. If you look at scripture in our, in our tradition, it's all very clear. St. Paul wrote about this a lot that the way it's gonna go is this, everyone here is going to die. Yes, we're gonna pay taxes and we're going to die. Uh, really? I thought that was clever. Uh, I made that up, death and taxes. But um, we're all going to die. There is no way around that. And when we die, our bodies go in the ground and our souls go to judgment. But what we also know, what Jesus said, what St. Paul said, what our scriptures has taught forever, is that when Jesus returns, scripture says, quote, he will raise up our mortal bodies and join them again to our souls. That heaven is a body-soul place. It is a physical place that exists now. Mary's there. She says hi. Yeah. Oh, she also, some of you, she said, knock it off. I don't know what that's about, but heaven is a physical place. And Mary is there now. Jesus is there now. Our bodies are destined for eternity. And that's important because that's why there's so many rules about our bodies. If you look at the rules in the church for these candles, we don't have a ton of them. You know, basically light them and then put them out. Those are the rules. Thank you. When you look at our rules for the tabernacle, it's about 8 million pages because that's the most sacred place in this church. That which is sacred, you protect. Your bodies are sacred and that's why there's so many rules. Other people's bodies don't exist as a means for your gratification. Other people's bodies are not things in your way of getting what you want. Every person you meet, body and soul, is sacred. This is why there's a ton of rules. For us, what's important is that as Christians, as Catholics, that we are supposed to be different. We're supposed to stand out a bit. One for our savage good looks and flowing hair. You laugh at that. 
but for the way we conduct ourselves, for the way we treat other people. This is why we fight for the most vulnerable members of our human race, from the womb all the way to death. Because those little bodies are sacred. For us, uh, the way we treat each other can show other people what we actually believe, as opposed to what we profess. And I have a million examples, but I had one, uh, a, f a fresh one, uh, from Friday, where I won't give you details, but I was in a line, and I was seeing inefficiency, which is basically people are going to hell. That's, you know, uh, we need to be efficient, yes? And a lot of it was, I don't know if you know this, do you know there are people who don't know how to stand in line? Yeah, and I don't know if God loves them, but we need to pray, uh, yeah? The people who are half in line, half out, who aren't getting right up behind the person behind them, again, they're, they're in trouble, we should pray for them. But all kidding aside, I'm sitting there and I'm drawing all these conclusions about how my irritation is a sign that something needs to be fixed. And as happens way too often, God made it clear, yeah, you need to be fixed. You do. Your irritation is not a sign that something's wrong with the situation. It's a sign that something's wrong with you. Every person in that line is beautiful to our Lord. And how petty to be irritated and pretend that means anything. Something as small as that, all the way up to the laws we pass and support, to the ways we uh, treat strangers, all of it tells people what we actually believe. Do we believe that body and soul are sacred? Will we stand for the truth that body and soul are sacred? And then again, in our culture, we're in that fight right now. And if we would have heard 10 years ago that we'd be arguing about gender, who would have believed it? Your body speaks the truth of your soul. And both are beautiful to our Lord. To believe that is not hate. It's love. It's to say, no, you're beautiful now. Your body is sacred. Your body is connected to your soul. And that matters. I could go on and on. There's always a danger of that. But I'm going to stop now. I just ask us to remember this because it's important. Your body is sacred. The bodies of other people are sacred. Our soul and body work together. One is not a shell. One is not less important. Both are destined for eternity. And it's so important that we know that, that Jesus showed us through the transfiguration. So in the words of St. John Paul II, what does God see when he looks at you? He sees what he's in love with and what he's been in love with since you were conceived in your mother's womb. Let's live that truth, guys. Let's hold that truth. Let's be willing to suffer for that truth if we must because you and I cling to the truth 
that we are body and soul destined for eternity. Amen? Okay.